Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Please be seated. Uh, a point of personal privilege. As you, many of you know, my wife is the, the new pastor for digital ministry at Washington National Cathedral. And today is her first Sunday preaching at their 1115 service. So if you want to take out your phone and watch her preach live, <laughs> rather than listen to me, I am okay with that. I only ask if you're watching at home, watch that on multiple screens so that you throw off the algorithms. If you are a piece of driftwood, and you're at the headwaters of a river, and your goal, as is often the case for driftwood, is to make it all the way all down the river and then out to the sea, then your task is surprisingly simple. All you have to do is float. According to this Buddhist teaching, if the log doesn't sink, if it doesn't run aground on a sandbar, if it isn't lifted up out of the water, if it doesn't get trapped in a whirlpool, then it's going to float all the way down and then out into the ocean. The hazards along the way are the things of this world that catch us or distract us or seduce us or fill us with anxiety or worry. To get lodged on a riverbank is to be lost among the sensory overload that happens when we fail to practice mindfulness as we move through our lives. To sink is to become enslaved by desire and greed. To be pulled from the water means to run with a crowd that does not support you in your journey with God. To be in a whirlpool is to get lost in a cycle of addiction and pleasure-seeking. The genius of this parable, I think, is that we don't have to go looking for the river. That, that wonderful flow of, of grace, it's our, we're already there. We don't have to find the next book or the next program. We are already on the river floating along, but we do have to be awake to all the things that might pull us from the flow and get us stuck. Which brings us to the bridesmaids. Rather than just floating along, those ten bridesmaids had something they needed to do. They needed to be ready. They didn't expect a delay in the return of the bridegroom, but the delay happened and they fell asleep, which is normal. No one can stay in a height of, of spiritual anticipation for days and months and years and centuries on end. I, I'd be willing to say not many can stay in a period of spiritual awareness for 12 minutes of a sermon, much less than waiting up all night for the bridegroom to arrive. But when it did time, did come, when it came time to be ready for the big moment, when it finally did come, 
what they did in the time when they were awake made all the difference. Tending our souls is vital work. Writing in the early centuries of the church, St. Macarius, the Egyptian, spoke of the soul as being clothed in a wonderful garment that was vulnerable to all manner of thickets and thorns as we move through life. He wrote, the one who goes along with vigilance, wrapping his gown close, keeping away from injury, and preserving the would preserve the gown that clothes him from burning and tearing. But if that person is idle and slothful and careless and clumsy and slack, I'm thinking Macarius had a really bad day when he wrote this. <laughs> when that happens, the garment gets torn and caught on thickets and thorns and gets torn away because he did not keep it resolutely tight around him. Now, I realize that's a little bit old school. It feels kind of defensive rather than delighting in the goodness of God and, and skipping through the heavenly fields. Our, our poor spiritual subject is reduced to pulling that garment in as tight as he can and fretting about every smudge and tear. But there is some wisdom here. He's on to something when he talks about the pleasures and distractions of life, the material cares, the earthly tire, ties, the rovings of vain thoughts. How wonderful if these 17 centuries later, we could say, Macarius, we have this figured out and we do not get distracted by these things. I don't think that's the case, do you? I mean, think about that phone in your pocket, which is the, the media on it is, is specifically designed to keep you hooked and distracted and to make you upset and to reward you for getting into dumb fights with your neighbor. So we are really no better off all these centuries on. This, this is as challenging as it ever has. And this will not help you get through the brush unmarred, or make you drift all the way out to the sea in one place. There are many whirlpools. There are many riverbanks. There are many things that want to pull that, that out and keep it from going where it needs to go. The faithful life starts with, with honoring the world and knowing that God created it good, and yet our spiritual well-being calls us to be a bit wiser as well as, and I'm going to use this word intentionally, a bit more discerning. Last week, when on All Saints Sunday, we baptized Sienna, we prayed that God would give her a wise and discerning heart. That's some of my favorite prayer book language. It comes from 1 Kings. A wise and discerning heart. When someone is thinking about a major life change, we call it discernment. When we interview as a church, when we interview someone who is a candidate to be a music director or, or a dean or even a bishop, we say that we have entered into discernment with this and other candidates. 
when we craft big plans, the ones with really big consequences, we do so with a, by listening to one another, but also by listening to the movement of the Spirit. And when we do that, we call that discernment. But you know, discernment may be just as meaningful as something that's a little more prosaic as it is when we're talking about these major tectonic shifts. Discernment is most simply the means by which we let God's Spirit guide us in anything and everything we do. So any choice that we make has the potential to draw us ever closer into the heartbeat of God. Any choice. But by the same token, any decision, any choice, any path we take can also turn us even farther inward. Macarius wrote, the wise bridesmaids had taken in the vessel of their heart the oil, the grace of the Holy Spirit, but the foolish ones, they were content with their own nature, and they sank to sleep through carelessness and slackness. So the souls who look beyond the material world for joy and meaning, those are the ones who set all of their hearts, all of their affection on God. But the ones who were content, they're good. They saw what the world had to offer, and they said, nope, I'm good. Those were the ones who could never escape. They could not break free from the comforts of this world, and they could not come nearer to the Spirit of God. This is where suffering comes from. Those who cannot see beyond the cycles of wealth and greed keep the whole world stuck in a zero-sum game when that is not the world that God created. When we cannot see any good in those who we see as adversaries, we end up warping our souls around our addiction to violence. When we tend only to our ego needs or, or our material desires, we find that our spiritual lamps run dry at the very moment when we need them the most. The light of the soul requires fuel. You got to keep those lamps burning. There is an urgency to this parable. Despite the reality of a long wait, there is a moment when they need those lamps. There is a moment when, when the bridegroom arrives, and, and in a way, it's calling the question, but it isn't like, um, it isn't like Santa Claus saying, were you a good boy this year? Um, no, no, it's far more like a parent, a loving parent asking if you are ready to come home, to open your heart to all that is needed and good. Or even, have you put enough gas in your car to make the journey? Or, and I didn't learn this one until I, I moved to Northeast Ohio, is your boiler in good enough shape to get you through the winter? Right? That's a serious question. You, you don't want to answer that one wrong. Will your lamps be filled when you reach for them and need them the most? 
Now, the trap of this passage is to get into the, we're thinking it's good bridesmaids versus bad bridesmaids. Life is never that way. And a binary choice is really just going to leave us feeling insecure or superior. And really, those are just both sides of the exact same coin. Rather, the question is, are you tending to your lamps during the day? Or, or maybe even, what fuel are you putting in those lamps? That's what discernment is. Discernment is about choosing the right fuel drop by drop and day by day to fill your lamps. Now, maybe you've been brought up to think of this passage as, um, as there are good bridesmaids and there are bad bridesmaids. And maybe in another sermon, we might want to sit down with those five bridesmaids who didn't have any to share. That's a, that's a different story to get into. But I think, I don't think this is about the good and the bad at all. I, I would go in a totally different direction. I think it's about energy exploration. I think it's about creatively going out to find sources of inspiration, sources of energy, sources of grace, so that we can be filled with that light of Christ, but also so that we can be ever attentive to those lamps around us. How do we fill the lamps of our neighbor as well? Are we finding energy sources for our life and our spirits? that are cheap and easy, quick burning, but ultimately extractive and simply coming at someone else's expense? If that's, if that's the case, our, our lamps will burn out long before midnight. Or do we instead fill our lamps, and I'm going to be a complete nerd about this, do we fill our lamps with something that burns cleanly and is sourced responsibly? Is it something that is infinitely renewable? Because it comes from the very source of love that created each and every one of us and therefore cannot be used up, cannot be burned out. If anything, it simply multiplies and grows. The more we light it, the more lamps there are. Give the newly baptized, we pray, a wise and discerning heart. The daily work of discernment. Everything from prayer to thoughtful decision-making to spiritual direction. That's how we choose the right fuel, day by day, drop by drop, to fill those lamps. And that is also how we rudder away from those whirlpools and sandbars that keep us from reaching the sea. It's how we wrap our fine heavenly garments around us closely as we move through the thickets of life. It's how we fill those lamps that will get us through the longest night. The bridegroom is delayed. But you know what? That is okay. By tending to our souls during the daylight hours, we awaken a different sense entirely as we come to realize 
that through the grace of God, we have already begun to step into the banquet hall. Amen.